Well, you are in for a treat today. We have the one and only Texan native, but now Oklahoma Flash, Brandon Callis, with us today on the God Experience. Brandon, how are we doing? I'm great. Great. Feeling good. Well, I know we've been trying to knock this deal out for a while. It's good to finally uh, have a little minute to sit down and, and just chat. Let me give you a little bit more of a, of a introduction for Mr. Callis. He is a uh, known around the country for his judging abilities of all species of livestock as well as his father and not only are they known for their ability to judge livestock but to do it honestly with integrity accuracy uh, and can be some silver tongue devils on the mic at the same time <laughs> both of them are extremely entertaining and at the same time they're so passionate and it's easy to see and this is like national level stuff he talks about being a judge. He judges only teams that go on and win at national level competitions. He uh, judges some of the top shows of the top breeds and the top situations that you can be in. There is positions he's in that many of our young people aspire to be in, and he graciously uh, handles those. And he had a good role model uh, in his dad. Um, being able to watch him growing up. So it's really an honor to be here uh, with Brandon and to share him with you uh, today. So now I know he won't brag on himself, but he is one of the best of the best of the best. <laughs> I appreciate it. So this is the God experience. And I just kind of want to ask two questions. And, and I know we'll play more off of each one. One, why do you believe in God? And two, do you feel like you've ever tangibly experienced him? Like you know that you know that he's real. So the first question, um, if I'm being honest, it's because my parents told me to growing up that that I should. Um, but as I finally embarked on my own Christian journey and started searching, it's hard for me to believe you can't believe in God. I I, I found out he's everywhere and everything. Uh, the, the people you meet along the way, whether you think it's significant or not, at some point in time it plays a significant role in your life uh, of how God orchestrated uh, the plan. And, and you don't even realize it's happening uh, until you kind of look back, man, wow. You know, that, that, that just happened. Kind of like me and my wife meeting uh, there. Um, well, my plan going into college, I had a plan. I was going to get through school, get my education, then worry about a family and a future and girls. Right. And uh, two months in, we were dating. And so that ruined the whole not going to have a girlfriend <laughs> in college thing. Uh, and and I, my kids always, the judging kids and stuff, I always mess with them that uh, my evaluation skills were pretty good with the animals. But I said, I picked one woman and, and right. got her the first time. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I never had a girlfriend uh, in high school. Uh, right never was just really interested i was pretty focused but met her and things changed and it could have been something to do with the first conversation we had yeah. on the phone talked on the phone for about two hours and it was about god and cows mm. that's all it yeah. took for me yeah that's about you that, that, that's all it took for me uh on that end of things and, and it just it kind of grew from there so for me on that question it's like I don't know how he can exist. Like I, I don't know how I don't, I can't go through life not believing in him because he's done so much for me and is such a uh, important part of why I exist and, and what I live for that I just, it's hard for me not to believe. It, you said that you know you were told to, and then you started searching for yourself. At what point did you start? Off and on, like like I'd go to church occasionally in college. Um, I'd pull out the Bible in a, in a time of need. like So I was going to him when I felt I was down or needed him. Um, but it wasn't until, heck, I was about 30, I guess, and, and we were making the move to Oklahoma. And the reason we made the move to Oklahoma was kind of my, my realization that, that God needed to be front and center. Uh, again, my wife's the oldest of six. Her, 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 her big, big family. Everybody lives kind of within that county in that area. And she missed home. They've got an awesome, awesome family structure. They love each other so much, and it's awesome to see. But, man, she was nine hours away from everybody. 
and, and she wouldn't always make it obvious, but it was killing her, I think. Mm-hmm. And me being a judging coach at the time, traveling like we do three quarters of the year, um, it was hard on her raising kids there. Uh, not a lot of support there. And, and not that we don't like to make friends, but I guess we trust few. It's, just, it's sure. us. And, and so um, she had followed me everywhere. You know, we went to grad school in Kansas. She found a job in Kansas, you know, and uh, came back to A&M, and she found a job. And I, it was just one of those deals. She, she had unselfishly followed me just yeah. about anywhere and everywhere. And she came in one day and said, hey, man, I think I need to be in Oklahoma. Uh, I, I want to move back. She goes, and it was in January, and she's like, I don't know how we're going to do it, but come August, we need to be in Oklahoma. Yeah. And, and that morning, Proverbs 16 or 9 came in on a devotional from old Brandon Horn, and then later that day, Proverbs 16 or 9 showed up again um, just on a daily Bible app. And, and, and so I took that as God kind of between her doing that it's no coincidence that Bible verse shows up twice, so I went ahead and actually looked at it. I want to put you on the spot, but what is, what is Proverbs Man, says? Man decides the direction of his heart, and the Lord guides his steps. And so when I sat and thought about that for the next two days uh, and thought about what it really meant to, to really choose God and let him follow your steps or, or sort your steps, that's when I decided, you know, I, I've, I've always been the comfortable Christian. Never did a whole lot wrong, never got out of line, never got in a lot of trouble because I didn't want to, didn't want to displease anybody. But like that day, it was like, you need to dive in here. And either you're going to dive in and live life to another level, or you're just going to sit here and be average. Um, And I know with some of the success I had, people say, oh, well, that's not average. But to me, that was another defining moment of how you truly define success, you know. I had to wrap my head around all that because as a coach, you're chasing for that banner. You're pushing those kids to, to give it your all. But then you let God finally enter. You coach differently. You see things differently. Uh, and so that was my moment. That was the start of it. Uh, applied for a few jobs along the way and was turned down for them. Um, then again, it was Hold on, the, tell, tell <laughs> it. I, I just found out about this. And, uh, old Lambert, I think, died. He right did. There. So I, I applied for a couple of ag teaching jobs uh, in Oklahoma and got interviews for them. And at the end of those interviews, it, it was like, hey, we just don't think you're qualified for this job. And I try not to have ego. I try to not be too proud of a person, but I'm not going to lie. It's one of the legendary <laughs> in the world. And, and, and it was a gut check. It was like, man, like, I'm not I'm not qualified. And I, I'd never been told that before, ever. Um, and so it was, a, it was a gut check for me. And it was, okay, God, I, I told you I was willing to move. Here I am trying to get there. What's the deal? And then I... Uh, just blame it on Oklahoma. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> so that was through the spring. About April, May, I was talking to Horn. Uh, he's been an advisor of both of ours for, for years. And he's a straight shooter. They, there's no sugarcoating anything for that guy. And and he said, hey, call Chad Chaplin. Just, you just need to call Chaplin. It's okay. So I, I talked to Chad. We talked about the insurance thing. That's what his dad had done. That's what he does. And his first, first time I ever talked to Chappie, <laughs> I said, and it was, Horn told me to call him to, to insure a cow. I bought Ruby, I bought one out of one of Horn's sales, and called Chappie and talked to him, and I'm like, man, you sure sound a whole lot like Horn. He said, hey, now, Bush, that boy sounds a lot like me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, them two are interesting. But his dad, uh, James, called out of the blue one day. He said, you know, me and my wife are down at Round Rock doing some visiting and shopping. She go, he goes, I'd like to meet with you and talk about this insurance game. And so I drove over there. We're still in Brenham at the time. I drove over there north of Boston at a hotel, and him and I sat in the lobby. We had breakfast, and we talked about it. He convinced me I needed to go ahead and do it. So I enrolled there with farmers, and we took my first test, was approved to, to, take, uh, to sell life insurance. And... As I was looking through all the literature and stuff, it, it was I still couldn't figure out. I started doubting again. It's like, you know, how am I going to feed my family the first couple of years? You know, it, it, at that time it was four of us. 
And I was like, I, I just, Lord, I'm not seeing it. I said, but I'm, I'm, you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. So I started studying for the second test, and we're about mid-June at this point. And uh, I got the first set of cows loaded, head to Oklahoma, move them, move me in up there on my in-laws' place, and I get a phone call, get around Gainesville, and Oklahoma number I don't recognize, I usually don't answer numbers, just let them leave a message, and for some reason something said answer. So I answered, and it's, it was a lady, Manny Pearson, now my boss. Uh, she said, uh, hey, we, we got a position open for a judging coach. Uh, would you mind applying? And it kind of took me back because it's like, you know, I've been sitting here praying, what am I going to do? I've coached judging teams for the last eight years or so off and on. And now here's this judging coach position in the county she's wanting to move back to that has come available. And the way I processed with that was, you know, I, I leaped, I jumped, uh, and against the advice of good buddy Kate Halfman, Kate always says, if you're going to jump, know where you're going to fall. <laughs> I did not know where I was going to fall, but I jumped. And on that way up uh, to drop off those cows, I told her, yeah, I'd be interested. In fact, I was headed to Oklahoma, and they put together an interview for the very next day. And so I interviewed for that position. Uh, I had clothes with me because I was also headed to Texarkana to judge Charlotte Junior Nationals that two days later. So I was going to drop those cows off, hang out a day in Oklahoma, drive Texarkana. So I interviewed for the day I was going to hang out. I interviewed for that job uh, 9 o'clock that morning. Got on the road, headed to Texarkana. About 3 o'clock that afternoon, they offered me that position. Uh, and so God answered, not only answered my prayer of where are we going to be and what we're going to be doing, but how am I going to feed my family? So now I had a consistent way, uh, a monthly salary, to, to take that worry off my off my chest. Uh, and so with that, as I was, any any coach knows you're taking on a new team, you're coming in new, you got to win them over. And so you're preparing for everything's about that first day. Like how, how, how's it going to be when we meet them? Uh, what's it going to sound like? You're trying to orchestrate it and get it all organized and really control the day. And something hit me that we're going to do this different. We're not going to do this like, like you've ever done it before. And my wife challenged me early on when I first started coaching up at K-State for Dr. Shockey. I had a, maybe one of the funnest teams and looking back, maybe one of the more talented teams that have, that have ever done it. Those boys are fun to be around. Almost too much fun sometimes. And she challenged me one day, and we're only, I think I'm only two years older than those kids. She said, either if you're going to coach, you got to do it different. And being their friend ain't, ain't doing it different. Because she saw me, how close me and those boys had gotten, and she's like, hey, there's got to be lines. So I reflected back to that as, as I was taking on this challenge, this new school. and So while uh, you were at Blinn, you, you weren't necessarily we, No, we had a two-coach system, and both of us were – man, we were pouring into those kids, but in a way that we wanted to win. Yeah. We wanted the banners. Now, we didn't cross no lines or sure. go cheat or anything like that, but our focus was to win the contest. Right. And when I got to Redlands, and there was a lot of stuff that had gone on before then, some, some turmoil and stuff they had been going through. And uh, I knew I, I was, I felt like God was pushing me there to change the culture. And this was my chance to really do it different. And, and so I accepted that challenge. And that first day, I'll never forget it. Uh, in the old H building, uh, long, narrow classroom, I'm at the front. There's these two girls that I tried to recruit to go to Blend that told me no. That ended up going to Redlands, and they're sitting on the they're sitting on the second row. Uh, two of the more talented ones in the country. So I knew them too, and there's a few other ones sprinkled throughout there. But it was a big group. Uh, there was twenty, maybe twenty six, twenty seven of them sitting in that classroom. I had the biggest lump in my throat. They probably didn't realize I was as nervous as I'd ever been because, for me, it wasn't just another team. And you never realize what you're saying sometimes. Uh, but I, I poured into them that day about how we were going to do things differently and, and, and the things we were going to do. And I, and I remember telling them that, you know, how do you want to be remembered? 
I feel like you're going to be the most important team Redlands has ever had because you're going to be the pivot point. You're going to be the team that changes it all and does it differently. And uh, they didn't come 100% around to it right away. Uh, we had some come to Jesus meetings here and there. One in particular that I don't remember the finite details of it, but they do remind me <laughs> of the details of it. I guess it was pretty impactful. But they started coming around uh, and doing things differently than they had done it. And I, I, I was proud of them, you know, for doing that. And, again, I didn't realize it till the end of the year they, they gave me this gift. And I still have it. It's, it's a big chest. Cowhide on, on the front of it. And inscribed were the words I told them that first meeting, that they might be the most important team that Redlands had ever had, and we were going to do it different, and they were the pivot point. And uh, I didn't know it sunk in like that. It was something I was saying that felt good. It had some intention behind it, but you never know who grasped it. Sure. And for them to engrave that and burn it on a cowhide and give it to me, that, like that meant something. Yeah. And, and from then on, I, didn't, I just didn't look back. It's like that, that's how I'm supposed to do it. So I got a question for you. Going into that, going into that meeting, mm -hmm. where you had a lump in your throat because you were out of your comfort zone on how you're going to do it. Yes. That. Now, for them, they were getting a new coach. They were going to experience change regardless. Yep. So for them, knowing that change was coming, what what was making you so nervous? I didn't know at that to that point I'd never really shared Jesus I'd never really poured into a team or a person with the intent of having an everlasting change on their life that's what the lump was it was it was the I'm fixing to step over a threshold that I've never done before and I felt so imperfect like I felt so like, why me, Lord? Like, I'm not the one that needs to be doing it this way. But for some reason, I feel like you pushed it. And you answered my prayer back then of how we were going to get to Oklahoma and what it was going to look like. So I'm not going to quit trusting you, so I'm going to do it. That's what that lump was. It, it was the, I don't even know if they're going to laugh in my face. I don't know if they're going to burn the place down. I'm not, I don't know if they're going to accept me at all. You know, uh, I think it was one or two podcasts ago on, on this podcast, I had a friend of mine, Angel, yep. and he's one of the most bold, like, you know him for 30 seconds, and he's going to ask you, hey, you, what about that Jesus? You walk, How's your walk, right? And he's going to, uh, he is extremely bold and, and very unashamed, yet five years prior to that, he didn't even know that there was a guy named Jesus and why people talked about him. And he was a heathen, right? And for myself, for you, we grow up in the church, yet talking to someone about God makes us uncomfortable. Why is that? So I wrote this down today as we were listening to those guys talk today. This same exact thought came to my mind, and I wrote down why are sometimes the, the most passionate chasers or most passionate people that at explaining who Jesus is, those that have been maybe through some of the darkest places. Why do some of us comfortable Christians who know we've been taught, we've been spoon-fed it, why is it so hard for us to come around and have that same passion about it? Why do we fear and stop? Now, I left those questions because I want to study it and, and, and figure it out, but I think that's it. Like, we've been around it so long. I don't want to go through what Angel went through. Like, I, I love that story he told. I'm not sure I'm strong enough. I, I don't want to. But at the same time, I, I'm so, I don't know if envious is the right word, but I admire so much how bold he is because of what he went through. And some of the stories we heard today, and I think that's why they're, it's no different than, than Paul. I mean, where he was with persecuting people and, 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 it took Jesus on that road to Damascus, blinding him and, and bringing him around and bringing him through something for him to wake up. I think we're spoiled in a way. Yeah. We've always known Christ. We, we, we've, we've understood it. We've heard the stories of Christ. But yet we probably weren't. Not enough happened to us and forced us to have to really trust him until finally either you swallow your pride or get tired of being a lukewarm, comfortable Christian 
that you get off your butt and really start chasing after you. So I'm reading a book right now called uh, Leadership Pain. And the basis of the book is the idea of you'll only be as good of a leader, as strong of a leader, as impactful of a leader as your pain threshold is. And just like you're talking about in those speakers today, and matter of fact, he's he's referring to we had the first uh, stock show dads retreat uh, that Rock Fleming kind of uh, ramrodded a deal, and Brandon and I pitched in on, and it was an amazing, amazing time. That I think uh, we had about 25 dads come, and it was just two days filled with some. Jesus and stories and fellowship and good stakes from 111. Uh, it was good. I can't wait to see the fruit from that. But that that same concept, you know, these guys they tell a story from a completely different perspective, where they were so broken uh, and so at a place of true surrender that then God was able to exalt them. And you know, it says, uh, "Humble yourself and you will be exalted." It's so hard to humble yourself when you have when you have stuff when you have when you're in a good place mm -hmm. when you're in a place of comfort and so it's um, it's kind of like the prodigal son instead I would more design myself with the son who didn't leave the father uh, why didn't that party get thrown for me I've been here by your side this entire time mm -hmm. why why don't you embrace that and I I think that's that. I think God telling of that story, and I did not realize it till later in life, us comfortable Christians, I'm going to call it, we're, we're that son. Yeah. No, we didn't go out into the world and blow the money and do this, but we're still no better because our pride mm -hmm. is what's holding us back. You know, and, and our lack of surrender to him is what's holding us back. So that's almost what I get out of that story. Now, now I used to see it as, hey, you know, the son went out and did his thing and came back to the Lord and came back to his dad well I always wondered what was I always even like man it was unfair yeah. you know for the other son but no it, it wasn't unfair he had it all right there he just never was bold enough to take advantage right so as a dad mm -hmm. you and I kind of have similar stories on our Christian upbringing yet we want more You, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably look at your upbringing in a way similar to myself as I wouldn't change a thing. Oh, never. And yeah. so grateful for it. Yep. Yet we yearn for a deeper relationship. And so as parents who don't want to our kids that we're raising to have to go through a season of life like Angel did where he didn't know Christ, but we want them to know more and don't want them to be comfortable. How do you do that? Um, you've got to have some uncomfortable conversations with your kid. Um, I think old school parents weren't, weren't scared to have those conversations uh, or somebody would talk about it with them. Whereas nowadays we'll get behind the excuse of being busy or this or that we don't slow down enough to enjoy a car ride with the kid you know make him put his phone down let's let's have a chat we don't take advantage of those moments like that and i'm glad i married the woman i did because uh, as comfortable as i was she's always been very bold uh, no she didn't go through a bunch of deep dark stuff God just blessed her with an incredibly bold heart and love for truth and what is right through him. And that has bled off in our kids that they're way more bold than I ever thought about being. And so I feel my job is to guide that boldness, challenge them, but then show them when they make a mistake how that not displeases me, but how that's not right in God's eyes. Sure. I think sometimes we get the fear in our parents and we fear them and not, not Jesus. I think that's exactly where I was is I was a heck of a lot more scared of my mom's belt than yeah. I was of uh, Jesus who disappointed God. Yep. So no, I, and I've really noticed it probably, it's, it, again, 
we talked about accountability today. My, my wife's my accountable person, which best friend, so that, that doesn't surprise anybody. But uh, me and that oldest can clash sometimes, and she's just always like, "Hey, he's a little more like me. You got you got to handle it just a little different sometimes." And, and once I took that to heart, and I, I controlled my my, I guess my frustration was I coached these college kids, and I see the entitlement sometimes or I see a, a character flaw that I don't like and I don't want my kid to have. And so I'd almost overboard. Sure. Like if I saw that inkling of that pride or inkling of that entitlement on kid, it was almost like I was going double on him. Yeah. And once I've learned to rein that back and just, yeah, sometimes a belt's needed. There's no doubt about it. Right. A lot of times words in a Bible verse or explaining things in a way through God's eyes will do way more than that belt ever thought about doing. Uh, and him and I have grown closer probably because of that. I, I changed the way I was parenting him and became more intentional about showing him God's way of seeing things rather than him disappointing me. Well, I think the key to the whole thing you just said is you changed. It's very hard, especially for guys, I think, to realize that they're not doing right. Then to pivot and change, because change is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly how uh, we grow and show our kids is doing the uncomfortable things, but for God. Just like you made your move and your kids see that, just like you're having friction there and you changed the way you did, you didn't blame it on him and want him to change. You you were the leader and you changed. And so um, I, I got younger ones than you, so I'm kind of <laughs> taking some notes. <laughs> no, kids imitate what they see. Mm -hmm. uh, little mirrors, aren't they? My father was the biggest prayer that there was and is. And I have that same relationship with Christ that I don't have to have a certain venue to pray in. I could be sitting right here talking to you saying a little prayer. I could be out there in that hot dust storm over there saying a prayer. Like, hey, don't be talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just, and I learned that by, you know, following him. And then like with my mom, her deal is persistence. Like very consistent, very unwavering, unwavering, uh, and really her story is as neat as there is as far as coming from where she came from and, and being a hard childhood. Uh, but, man, you, you really wouldn't know it now, uh, the way she pours into people and, and, and things. And, and so from their example, and heck, even my in-laws, just there might not be any more meek of a couple around that, that really have, have poured into their children in a very humble very very humble way and in which they do it so my kids are very fortunate to have generations of it but at the same time i don't want them to do what i did and become that comfortable christian and take it for granted i want them still to chase it uh it's like a baptism uh, my youngest one older two have been baptized my youngest one is now asking and she's been asking almost for a year to be honest but we wanted it to be her decision, not a, not a high from VBS, not a, you know, we wanted her to have a, a personal relationship that she felt like she was growing with Christ. Not that it had to be some full-blown, she's going to be a preacher next week. But no, just, just signs that she was chasing it and not because her parents wanted her to. Uh, I think that's been the cool, unintended thing, honestly. We, we take them to church, we expose them to Christ, but we've never pushed or put pressure on them to do the baptism, it's all been kind of, they finally felt it was the right time to do it. Yeah. I, I think that's important. Yeah. They've got to form their own relationship. Sure, 100%. So, in your uh, uh, newfound boldness or wanting to walk more boldly in Christ and, and implement that more in your everyday tasks and everyday life, have, you know the reservations that you have and the, the that lump in your throat and the, the anything that is holding you back from that situation 
have any of those fears actually come into fruition? As far as being scared of, of failing at some point in time? or, or No, like, okay, so you're going to uh, the Redlands College and you're going to talk to these kids and, mm-hmm. and you're nervous about telling them that we're going to do things different and it's going to be based around God. What were those fears and did they ever even actually happen? Let's see. My fear is that it's a personal thing like I don't like rejection. Yeah. Nobody does. But I have this real complex with, uh, like you and I were talking this morning, I'm a fixer. Yeah. And I think for a long time, I cared too much about what people thought mm-hmm. about me. Not what God thought about me, but what people thought about me. Mm-hmm. And you can go through life and please a lot of people and seem like a very good and nice person. It ain't going to get you to heaven, though, necessarily. And I think that's where I was. I think that was, looking back, I think that was the lump. It was not being prepared. Yeah. Uh, if I had to go back and do it now, now that I study more, now that I read more, now that I've devoted myself more, I don't think that lump would ever even be close to being there. But, but I'm way more prepared now. Yeah. And I think that's what it was. it was. It was a lack of preparation. It was the newness of being bold. Um in the fear that they're not going to accept it and it's going to be a failure. But to me, again, one of those morning talks with Horn one day, he told me, he said, he said, Bush, at some point in time, you're going to have to get off the Shetland and get on a big horse. So see that you can ride the Shetland forever and just hang out, or you can get on the big horse and do something. Uh, and I'm sure he got that from Rory D. But uh, <laughs> but but that that's what it was. Once I find and to me the big horse was opening that Bible in a way that meant something. Mm. Not just elaborate on that. Well, not just going to it when times are bad. Not just going to it when you need something. Open it because you know God is all you do need, and you want to grow closer to Him. So you're going to read about him because the way we grow closer to him are the words he left for us to read about him. And once I started doing that, man, your, your heart's full. Uh, you walk differently and don't even realize it uh, when you submerge yourself into it. And, and it, it's a feeling I, I, I can't explain. I just I want more people to read and do it. Uh, so on that reading, we had talked earlier about uh, we kind of had similar stories on because of being raised in the church around it, around the lingo, around the sermons, around uh, it being spoken about in our household from our parents. We never actually really read for ourselves on top of not liking to read. And what really got me uh, zeal for reading is wanting so bad to know what God's heart was and not what somebody else was telling me it was. And so before, whenever I'd read the Bible, I'd actually read it like this. My, my number in high school was 10. Mine too. Really? <laughs> yeah. so, so I literally would go through and look at every like chapter 10, verse 10, and be like, is this first for me? Yep. And it was like I wanted the verse to speak to my life verse to speak to my life but when I shifted my thinking uh, I want to read this God and I want to know what your heart is I want to if this is about you I want to know what you're like and have a fresh perspective on that and whenever I read from that perspective I would actually like put my book down and I was like holy crap I read six chapters and it was the Bible and I'm still awake and I wanted to do it again and I think it's so crucial the perspective and the mindset you have when you sit down to read to be able to actually get it done. Yep. I, I tell you what, my I, I liked once I changed uh, what my focus was of the end result of coaching. Mm. I felt sorry for the kids I coached at Blinn. 
because I don't feel like I poured into them enough. And they didn't turn out bad at all. They turned out there. There's good kids. But I could have done more. Like I realized how much I left on the table. But then I look at the Redlands family. And again, I'm very thankful for the way he changed me and the way I shifted. That it has actually been. We, we've won plenty of contests, but maybe we hadn't won all of them like we were. But when you see the kids and. I watch them, or I still have relationships with them, converse with them. They might not all be there yet, but they're going in the right direction. They're still going through things, but I'm glad I've become a person they can call and talk to, and I can explain it to them in a way that, well, this is what God wants us to do. Yeah. You might not want it. You might not like it. I guess for, I guess I've become their accountability person yeah. without even realizing it, you know? Yeah. Uh, even after judging's over and then they've gone and, and so it's been really cool to continue to develop some of the relationships I've been able to keep in contact with some of them and, and watch how they've grown for sure that's awesome so now what um so my next step was I, I quit coaching which was hard uh, as far as the judging teams was concerned because that's all I'd done. Uh, that's what I knew how to do. But my kids were getting older, my own personal kids. And she'll probably won't like me telling this, but where it really hit me was uh, we moved to Minko there. And for the first couple years, my wife was joking. I guess one lady thought she was a single mom. Like <laughs> I'd showed up to a game or something, one of Braden's, and they didn't, they didn't know I existed. Just this white girl walking around with three mixed kids. They didn't know I was around. And, um, but no, uh, when I stepped out of coaching judging team and moved over to a teaching role and took on the beef team, it allowed me to have more time at home. Uh, and actually, like we were talking today, I, I, I then realized what my first ministry is. And I wasn't taking care of my family like I should. Uh, wasn't pouring into them like I should. And even though life's never been necessarily hard for us, once I made that decision to come off the road, and I was torn because it's like, I feel like, God, you're telling me to keep pouring into these kids. But at the same time, he was saying, no, you're fine. These ones are your own. You you need to get after that now. Uh, And and so it it was awesome. I really thought I'd miss coaching, and I do at times, but I thought it'd be really hard for me uh, just because I I poured so much into it. And it could have been because maybe it fell on a COVID year, so there was a lot of stuff that was missing anyway. I can't say I missed it, and I was shocked, and it's hard for me to even say that now uh, because I don't want to disrespect the kids any at all. But it's been, again, one of those good moves I made because our family life again it's never been bad but it's gone to another level now Uh, and that's like transition to my study now it's it's the role of a father you know what are we supposed to be doing how are we supposed to be leading how do you properly lead your family and that's that's kind of what I've been morphing into now something I've noticed in my life is I've made some some big changes in high school. I switched high schools went to a private school for a minute. Uh, I signed with Texas A&M Kingsville out of high school, played college ball there, started at quarterback. Avalinas. Yeah. Uh, a and I until I died. <laughs> Transferred from there and went to A&M to walk on on a whim and made it. And then was at V8 for eight years. Uh, absolutely loved it and then made the move to Sweetwater and as I look back on all those like pivotal big decisions uh, and people ask me along the way like hey do you ever regret leaving here did you ever did you miss being at V8 and I think because I was always all in where I was I 
I'm still all in where I am. And so, no, I don't miss it. I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful for every experience I had, but I miss it zero percent because I'm here now. Yep. No, and that reminds me of a phrase. I don't know where I heard it or if I just came up with it in my head, but grow grow where you're planted. And that became, again, another focus. Honestly, yes, us Texans are proud. (laughs) But I've never met an Okie that willingly wants to leave Oklahoma, and they usually don't. But one way I convinced myself to leave and go north of the Red River was I'd heard that, grow where you're planted. And so, again, moving from primary coach and judging teams to now being with the family and, and really our cattle deals taking off because of it too now it's like you grow where you're planted well we got plugged into a church you know first time we're ever part of a small group you know finally got a family structure where we're here we can actually be of service yeah. and, and do some things and i now see that's what he was pushing me towards like okay hey you've got some connections there it's not it now it's time to grow in a different spot let's let's go do this over here yeah that's awesome that's awesome it's still different in Oklahoma. Than it is. We, you know, we got that business in Oklahoma, and I love my people up there, but it, it's still not Texas. <laughs> so, is there anything that that Brandon Callis today knows or believes that Brandon Callis 10, 15 years ago? thought he knew that he knew but it's a different belief now I thought I knew what it was like to be a Christian I thought I knew what it was like to to call yourself a Christian I feel like I'm finally at 39 years old living and pursuing Jesus and actually being deserving the title of a Christian and how is it um Everything's more intentional now. Uh, my son jokes with me now uh, that they show. He goes, Dad, how do you take losing so well? And it's not that I don't like to win. Because uh, I do. Uh, I think God put us on this earth. to. We do it as if we're doing it for Him. So if you're doing it for Him, why would you not be putting out your best competitive spirit forth you know um so i don't want people to think i'm not competitive but when we don't win the banner i don't get mad uh i don't get upset it's not a reason to cry it's not a reason to slander it's not a reason to sin because i didn't win that banner um you know what's two people that often have that perspective though the ones that have never gotten close to tasting it and the ones that have and realize that its goodness wasn't all that fulfilled. Yeah. I've never won the big one. I always wanted to win Houston. My senior year, I thought I had to steer to do it. I was third behind the Grand Reserve main. Uh, had what you would call one of the crowd favorites. So it's like, man, why didn't that happen? But it didn't. Right. Uh, judging contests. Wanted to win them all. Uh, I was a little hard-headed. Didn't practice like I needed to at first. Wanted to rely on my own talent just to get me through. Um, finally got to senior college and matured. And I still to this day don't know how I did what I did at Kansas City, but it was a special day. Um, but one thing that did happen that day that put things into perspective for me, uh, I win that contest. I set two records that still hadn't been broken. But people don't realize this. You know, the thing I take from Kansas City 2004, my wife's uh, grandfather died that week. We were dating at the time. We weren't married. I wasn't there for her. I was in Kansas City judging at a, a judging contest, doing something pretty material when you look back at it. It kills me that time of year every, every year. that, and I had to learn to deal with it. Of I had a lot of I felt bad that I was not there for the person I loved and cherished the most. Even at that point in time, I knew she was the one 
I couldn't enjoy the celebration, that victory, because I felt terrible that she was going through that and I wasn't there to help. At that moment, I realized women's, it, yeah, it's good and God will allow it. But man, there's there's so much bigger yeah. out there in the world than that. And, and then shows we've been to, uh, again, it's easy for people to go down the rabbit hole of, man, we lost because of this or the politics or this, that, and the other. And I choose not to focus on that. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but my focus is more so on on the process and the journey. Like I've I've always been the barn rat. I've always been the kid that loves the wash and blow. Them. Uh, even to this day, if I'm feeling any kind of stress, I'm probably getting a calf up and going to rinse and wash and blow them or walking through the cows or something. To me, that journey and how we walk that journey is so much more important than that banner. It's not even funny. The, the banner is the, if it all lined up and God decided that, that was your day, guess what? There's nothing any politics or anybody in the world is going to do if he decides you're going to be the winner that day. You're going to win. And so once I realized that, my answer to my son of, of why I take losing so bad is because, and, and not to sound like it's some kind of cheesy deal, but did I really lose? I'm still breathing. God's still blessing me. I'm still in the mix. I'm still chasing him. How did I lose? But, but it's hard for a young cat that's competitive like him to wrap his mind around it. And then we see so many grown-ups and parents that sure. just – they don't process it as well. And I'm not saying it's always been easy to process it that way. But for some reason this year especially, it just hit me like a ton of bricks that, no, that's not why we're here. That banner's cool. It looks cool in the house. Those pictures look awesome on the wall. You don't get to take those with you to, when you die. You know, something that I realized while I was at V8 and, and in my stint there, I got to be one of many people who enjoyed uh, success in the show. And something, I'd always try to keep things in perspective and just sit back and watch and enjoy moments. The two most loneliest places or times at a show is being the winner. You're the first one there in the morning, it's dead silent. Or you can hear some fans going, cattle are laying down. You're the only one there. And then leaving the backdrop, it's you and the photographer, judge shaking his hand, leaving. There's no fans. There's no people saying, oh, yeah, you're great. It's just you. It's a very, very lonely place. And so at the end of the day, you know, what did it do? And we had the opportunity to take the perception, take the a little uh, fame or the role that you get from it. But at the end of it, uh, at the same time, it's so minuscule that we really put so much in just to get here, to be by ourselves, to take this picture by blue background. <laughs> You know why I think the pandemic happened? Why God allowed that to happen? He's been trying to get our attention. He's been trying to yank our chain. Uh, there's so many people, I think, that did come out of it changed. Some quickly forgot. But some, it, it had an everlasting change on. He, it, it truly was, he giveth and he taketh away, right then and there. Uh, I can speak for us at OIE. You know, we were told we'd be able to, to finish that show we shortened it did all the constraints and they found out they were literally the last event in the continental United States to be allowed to go on so they had the heifer show we had a steer we were pretty proud of and we didn't get the show and I came back I brought him home I put him in his pen and I just I just sat there And I couldn't think of any words to say. I couldn't think of any thoughts. I just sat there and looked at that calf. Knowing that we might not ever get that animal to feed like he did. The way we got him, a passed over, one that nobody wanted. And the way he turned out, like, an incredible story. He might not ever come again. Right. 
And I sat there and watched that. And the first time we got back in the ring, after that, I decided, hey, he can take it away just as easy as he can give it. You might want to have your head wrapped around it the right way and cheer us what you got. And I, I do think, unfortunately, we're starting to forget it a little bit as an industry. There's a while we were all banding together. We're not going to forget this. And, and God was, was moving. But like a lot of things, unless you're intentional, unless you, you want to chase him, it's going to leave. You'll fall back into the world. Intentional is a very important thing to me. Well, I want to be respectful of your time and, and everyone, and I'm very grateful for the time that you spent here and, and what you've shared. I know it's going to uh, impact a wide array of people, and I just really appreciate you for your, for your boldness, for doing what you're doing and how you walked out uh, the life that you've lived this far. I can't wait to see what you do, brother, man. I love man, you. I, I thank you, uh, young cat, mature-minded, wrap your, your head. I, I'll be honest, first time – I really come into contact or heard about you was the walk-on deal because I was a grad school at AM. I'm a big Mike Sherman fan. Yeah. Uh, I just love the way that guy walks and, and yeah. the way he lives. And when you walked on, you didn't realize I was following you uh, on that deal. And just the way you've always carried yourself, the poise. Uh, no, none of us are perfect. Uh, but, man, it, it's, it's fun. You inspired me to leap. It's been, man, maybe six or seven years before you even sold the cows and you and I were just chatting. And I can't remember if I called you to chat or you called me, but I just, I feel like I wanted to get to know you. And we were chatting and, and I could just tell there in the conversation, like, man, you're, you're, your willingness to jump and let him catch you and know he's going to catch you in some kind of way, it, 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 it was inspiring to me. Uh, so you throwing that on top of the, the horn stuff every now and then. Yeah. Uh, it, it was. It made. It made. It gave me an example of how to charge after. Mm. Even though you're younger, you you were still teaching me. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a wrap. That's this episode of the God Experience. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like, share, do all the things that the podcast people want us to do. But uh, thank you so much, uh, Brandon. Have a safe trip home. Good to see you. God bless.